why do some people believe in the Lord and some people don't? Right? You, you wonder that, right? You wrestle with that. Especially like if it's like within the same family unit, right? And you've got, got fa- parents who bring up the kids the same way. You, you presume they did. They all brought them to church. And they didn't take like one aside and they're like, hey, by the way, this is all garbage, right? Every Sunday. Um, but, but then you have, you have siblings, right? You've got, you know, these brothers believe, these sisters don't, these sisters believe, these brothers don't. They believe in the Lord, they believe in God, and, and yet there are others that don't. Why? Why is that? It, it's kind of strange. Well, as we're continuing our journey through the book of Exodus, we kind of see something similar here. We see the Israelites, they've seen ten plagues that God has utterly decimated Egypt with. He's brought them begging on their knees to be released, to, to let the, the Israelites go. We've seen ten wonders that God has done. They've seen all of these things. And yet, their belief isn't quite where you'd want it to be. What does it take for the Israelites to believe in the Lord? What does it take for people today to believe in the Lord? So we saw Pharaoh gave leave to Israel after the Passover, after the death of the firstborn in the households. And it was a joyous time for them to go and to leave, but the trouble's not over yet. And I think from this text, we're going to see they don't fully believe in the Lord just yet. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. They don't believe fully yet. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. When they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, then the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and to camp in front of Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will save the Israelites. They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So this is, like, this is pretty incredible. God's leading them, and he ultimately is leading them by this, this pillar of smoke. You know, kind of like a tornado, it looks, but it's, it's controllable, right? It's not... Um, it's not destroying everything that's around. It's, it's this stable pillar of smoke and then pillar of fire by night. Uh, just incredible. This is, this is the glory of God. This is the visible glory of God that we see. You see it rest on the tabernacle. Uh, and you actually see it rest. It's not always mentioned, but it's always there. Rest on, on the first temple. 
in Jerusalem. People would come from all over the world to see the glory of God. And that's why when Israel went out in exile and then they came back and they rebuilt the temple, they said the glory is gone, right? Because the glory didn't rest on there anymore. They didn't see God's visible presence here in this, this pillar of smoke and fire. So pretty cool. I mean, if, if you, well, so it goes on and we have this over again. We see it hard, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And again, we have to keep mentioning that. We, we use that term like hardened his heart. It's like, man, that's one guy who doesn't care about anything or anyone. And that's not exactly what this means. It means that he had a resolve. He had a strong iron will to do what he wanted to do. Uh, so God isn't like sinning against Pharaoh to make him do something he doesn't want to do. God's not saying, okay, I'm going to make you a jerk. I'm going to make you evil. That's not what he's doing. Pharaoh wants to do this. You know, but he's tired, he's exhausted, he's lost the will. God just gives him the strength to do what he wants to do. But can you imagine this? Like, how many times have you guys asked God for a sign for direction in your life, right? Like, I have. Yeah, should I keep this job? Should I go? Should, should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Should I go to this church? Should I go to that church? Right? Should I talk to the boss? Should I not talk to the boss? Should I call the 1-800 hotline and anonymously report this? Do I call the police? Do I not? Right? All these questions we have. Do I need to live here? Should I buy this house, that house? And we have, oh God, give me a sign. You know, lead me, direct me. Right? Because God has a perfect will for your life and, and there is a, a revealed will and that is that you know Jesus Christ and show him to others. We know that's what God's calling on all of our lives are. All of ours. That's his will for your life. But then he has this hidden will about the specifics, right? The job you take, the person you marry, the, uh, the church you attend, right? His hidden will, that he doesn't fully reveal all of those details. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had what the Israelites had and all you had to do was follow around this pillar, right? This pillar of smoke and fire. I mean, but this is the 21st century, so if you had like an app, right? The, the pillar of fire app. And he just, it's like GPS and it's like, okay, Lord wants me over here. Let's figure out what to do over here, right? Like it's not at this job I'm at, so I'm good. We can go. It'd be incredible. That would, of course, make everyone believe in God. That would, of course, make everyone believe in the Lord, right? Like, we'd, we'd, we'd never be shaken again. I mean, he's telling me exactly what to do. Oh, it's time to go to the bathroom. He must understand how my GI tract works better than I do. Okay. All right? We don't listen to our bodies. Maybe we'll listen to the Lord. Okay? What will it take for people to believe in the Lord? Is it the GPS app? No. It's not enough. They've already seen the 10 plagues. He's now leading them specifically. It's not enough. It's not enough for them to believe. Verse 5, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We've released Israel from serving us. Yeah, remember, they need that slave labor. Uh, when I did the first person as Pharaoh, and shockingly didn't burst out my vocal cords. <laughs> he said over and over again, you know, do you want your children to do this job? Do you, want, uh, do you want to do this job yourself? Nobody wants to do these jobs. We need these people in order to do the work no one else wants to do. You want to lower your life expectancy doing this job? No. What have we done? We've released Israel from serving us. Verse 6, so he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi Haroth in front of Baal Zephon. 
Okay, so he's taking his chariots against them. You know, what do the Israelites have? Nothing, right? They, they have some plunder, they have money that uh, they have. They have their maybe farming implements and tools. Uh, they don't have anything. Uh, you have to realize chariots back then were the ultimate war weapon now. Right? They, they were the absolute ultimate war wep weapon that anyone could have. It was, uh, uh, it was like a tank. Actually, it was like a predator drone. Uh, can you imagine if you were out in the woods hiking and uh, suddenly someone calls you on the phone and says, Hey, State Department. I don't know why, but they sent a predator drone after you. <laughs> Are you going to survive? No, you're not. Right? Like, there's nothing you can do against one predator drone. You're like, okay, I can hide under this tree, right? Like, you're done. You're done. Predator drones coming after you. You're done. This text says there are 600 of his finest chariots he brings. So he brings all of his best predator drones. And then he's got some other drones. They're not predator drones. He's bringing some tanks, right? He's, he's, he's got some foot soldiers with him too, uh, right? So he's got 600 predator drones ready to just cut down the Israelites. What do they have? They've got sticks. And they're up against the sea. You're not going to make it. How would you respond if you found out you had a predator drone coming against you? Uh, verse 10. They respond, I think, the way any normal one of us would respond. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now look, I get it that it's really... <laughs> We, we tend to be really harsh to the Israelites here, like, man, they've seen so much. How can they doubt now? But, like, this is the normal human response. Right? How many, how many times have you guys had something, uh, an answer to prayer from the Lord? Right? You know, he's, he's, he's supplied you with money to pay that bill you didn't have. He supplied you with a safe place to stay when you didn't have a place to have. He's um, given you friendship when you didn't have friendship. You know, when you didn't have transportation, he, he provided you with transportation. He gave you a car. Uh, he's, he's done those sorts of things, right? Maybe even a healing, right? Maybe you were sick and he healed you, whether through a miracle or through, through the doctors. So you're ready to take on anything that God sends at you, right? There were 600 predator drones coming at you. Would you not be freaking out? <laughs> There's a world of difference between the things that God has delivered me from in my life, and he's delivered me from a lot of things. And all of a sudden, an army, a group of terrorists, something, something's coming right at me. I've never experienced that before. This is unlike anything they've seen. Yes, they've seen the plagues, right? They've seen the plagues, but they have not experienced. This army is physically coming at me. There are tanks bearing down on us. There are predator drones about to blow us out of, the, out of existence. And they freak out. And I submit to you, most of us would freak out too. I'd be the first. It's a normal human response. 
But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Okay? I mean, again, great speech. I love that. Like we should put it on t-shirts. The Lord will fight for you. Great theology. But let's think through this again, right? The Lord has revealed Himself in a, a visible manner and it's a pillar of smoke and fire. If you're going to war, you have a choice. What's going to do better? A tornado? Or 600 predator drones that can fly around the tornado, right? I mean, honestly, I'm being really cynical here, but I mean, this is what the Israelites are feeling. This is what they're facing. Okay, he's given us, he's got, we got the GPS app. I got the GPS app. Um, maybe I can hack my phone. It, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you guys are at home watching, I woke up the baby. <laughs> okay, the Predator drone's coming. I've got the GPS pillar by fire app. Oh, maybe I can hack into the, the Predator drones with this, right? Like, it's just, it gets cool that I saw you in this pillar of fire, God, but I, I don't know what you can do against these chariots. They're too big, they're too many. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? This is, that's great, too, because. Because who was crying out? It was Israel. Who, by the way, Israel is the protagonist of this particular natural unit of text. But, but Moses... So Israel cries out. Moses says, the Lord will fight for us. Be quiet. And, and then God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Right? So something's going on in Moses' heart too. God knows Moses' heart. Moses, he, he gave a good bravado speech. The Lord will fight for us. And when God speaks to him, he says, why are you crying out to me? I know you're scared too. Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea and on, onto dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and all his chariots and all his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Wow. Uh, that's, that's incredible, right? So, of course, Moses he communicates that to Israel and, uh, and Moses himself, they probably now feel filled with, with confidence, right? I don't know. My guess, again, my cynical read is no, they're not feeling that. How many times have you heard of one of God's promises and you think it's too good to be true? I mean, we're Christians we're, and we go to church, right? So we won't say it out loud. But how many times you hear one of God's promises and you're like, man, that's too good to be true? you're facing a huge health crisis or you have a loved one that died and some well-meaning Christian walks up to you and quotes Romans 8 and says, hey, you know what? Man, you just lost this, this family member of yours. God works all things for, together for the good of those who love Him. It's going to be okay. How does that feel in that moment? I want to punch him. <laughs> because even though I intellectually know that's true in my heart, I'm like, how, 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 how can God make good come out of this death? 
How can he make good out of, out of a child losing a mother or a father? How can he make good out of a parent losing their child? I, I, I don't understand. And I can't feel it. And so in that moment, I think they're here and they uh, stand on the promises of God. Stand on the promises, Moses. Stand on the promises, the Israelites. And they're like, what? There's 600 of the best weapons known to humanity right up on that hill. And a lot more behind them. We've got nothing. We've got sticks. Verse 19, the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. Yeah, if you saw the movie Prince of Egypt, uh, which is a great movie. You see that happen. The cloud goes up and then it's like kind of does this firewall between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And it's cool, right? It's like, okay, this will work. But, but again, if you're the Israelites and you're watching this, you're like, okay, you're blocking them from following us. I mean, you're the pillar of fire, right? Like, okay, if this was a video game and you were controlling a pillar of fire and there was an army coming towards you and they were going to wipe out your forces, what would you do with the pillar of fire? Yeah, just move them to the other forces, right? You've got a fire pillar. Just burn them all down. Right? <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, no, we're just going to create a barrier here. What is God doing? Yeah, he, and he said again, he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. So he's strengthening his resolve. Pharaoh wants to, to murder the Israelites now. And, and instead of Pharaoh going, oh, I, I want to murder them, but I can't because of that pillar of fire. God's like, don't worry, I'm going to strengthen your heart. I'm going to strengthen your will. I'm going to strengthen your resolve. You're going to get what you want, right? And he's like, yeah, we're going to do it no matter what. We're going to kill him even if it kills us, right? Like, that's, that's, that's what's happening. Why is God doing this? Isn't that weird? Isn't that bizarre? I mean, he's got the pillar. He, he's representing himself in the pillar of fire. Go, just take out the army with the pillar of fire. Why is God going to this extent? Such an extreme. Why is he stressing out the Israelites so much and so deeply? And verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Yahweh drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground and the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Uh, this according to Every Jewish commentator I've talked to or read, and every Christian commentator and theologian I've talked to or read, is the greatest miracle in the Old Testament. And it was cool here, Friday night, and any of you guys who are here Friday, when that happened in the movie and you see it go on. I think some of the kids didn't, weren't super familiar with the story, so they weren't exactly sure what was going to happen. They're like, how is this? What are they gonna, what's going to happen, right? And then, and then when it happened, like I was sitting right here, so I'm looking out over at the kids to see what their reaction, and some of them were like, oh, that doesn't happen. That's not normal. That is so cool. It was a cool moment. It's wonderful to have little kids to experience these things with. This is the most important, the most miraculous the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. 
I know, you, you're going through your brain right now like, well, what about the creation of the entire universe? I, you, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. But, but for God's people, this was a defining moment. This was an absolutely defining moment. If you didn't have the parting of the Red Sea, we don't have any rest of the story. This is the greatest miracle in the Old Testament. And it's analogous to the greatest miracle in the New Testament, which is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the New Testament writers talk about this moment as they pass through the Red Sea as their baptism. Hmm, interesting language that they're using. Why is that? Verse 23, the Egyptians set out in pursuit all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting them against Egypt. He's fighting for them against Egypt. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. When the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. Whew. Reading this, it, it just struck me as incredible. The same thing, the same miracle that God used to deliver Israel was the same miracle that He used to wipe out the Egyptian army. Like it's the same moment in history that he delivered his people and brought judgment against his enemies. All in one shot. I mean, we're going to see that again at the end of days when King Jesus comes. When King Jesus returns, it is either going to be the best day of your existence or the absolute worst day of your existence. When King Jesus returns, it is either going to be glory or horror. There's no in between. And it's that one moment that's going to just divide all of humanity into nothing else. If you follow Christ, it will be the gl most glorious moment of your existence. If you don't, you're cast away forever. He uses the same moment to bring justice against his enemies and to rescue his people. It's kind of like, I was thinking about it, I was trying to find a good analogy. It, it's like pond water. Stay with me. <laughs> it's like pond water, right? Like if, if we're out hiking and uh, as weather gets better, I was hoping for spring break to do some hiking with the kids this week. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, again, if you're watching at home, it's snowing here, which is why you're watching from home. <laughs> uh, if we go out hiking and man, we're like, oh man, we've done, we, we finished all of our water and we come across a pond. We're like, oh, well, there's water here right? We can just go drink that water, right? No, why? Beaver fever, right? Not to be confused with beaver fever. That's a totally different thing. 
But, but beaver fever, right? You drink that water, I mean, you're going you're gonna to get sick. The kids are going to get sick and dysentery, and uh, they're, they're going to have a temperature because that beaver fever is just not good. But, but is that water totally garbage, right? Can, can you never use that water for anything again? No. You can take that water, right? You can put it in a pot, put it over a fire, bring it to a boil. And then what happens? Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Yeah, does it hurt, hurt the water at all? It might transform it. It might change it, right? Some steam happens and everything, but it doesn't hurt the water. The water's not like, oh no, fire, help. That's not how water works. Also, because it's not a person. Uh, but, but it doesn't hurt the water. It doesn't damage the water. It might change it. But, but what does it do to the bacteria that's in there? It hurts the bacteria, doesn't it? <laughs> I think that's what we see here. I think that's what we see God do all throughout human history is he will often use the same moment to rescue his people and to bring judgment against his people's enemies. I lack the imagination to make that happen. God doesn't. So then, after this, just incredible deliverance. Which again, God didn't have to make happen. Pharaoh is back in his palace, licking his wounds, just totally destitute, and God strengthens his will, so he goes, I hate them. I'm going to go stop them. And he keeps strengthening his will. Why did God do this? Why? What was the point? What was the purpose? Why did God have to do any of this? Why did he have to part the Red Sea? This is the reason. Verse 29, but the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and saw and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant, Moses. That's why. They finally had this reverential fear for God that they didn't have before. Before it was kind of like, God help us, God help us. And that's a good thing to have, right? That's a good call. God, help us. We need your help. Rescue us. Rescue us. But you know what? If some other God showed up or false supernatural creature. They'd be like, fine, we'll follow you. Right? Um, they saw him attacking his enemies, but it hadn't solidified. They didn't really fully come to this point where they say he is our God no matter what. And we believe in him and him alone. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in Him. Finally, they said, okay, we believe in you. What did it take for Israel to believe in God? To truly believe that the Lord is who the Lord says He is. That the Lord, Yahweh, is the one who causes things to be the way they are. That He's in control. He is more powerful than Pharaoh. He's more powerful than the false gods of Egypt, all 1,500 of them. When it finally happened, they realized He is our God and we, is his, we are His people. It happened when God delivered them from Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea the most amazing miracle in the Old Testament, the most important, the greatest. That's when these people said yes. That's why the New Testament writers say they were baptized as they went through those waters. 
Because when you are baptized here, you are declaring, I belong to Jesus and He belongs to me. There's no question. They belong to the Lord and the Lord belongs to them. They are tied together forever. So what about today? What does it take for people today to believe in the Lord? Well, I think today it's the same thing as back then. But let's look at the New Testament. The greatest miracle in the New Testament is the resurrection of Jesus. So I think for today, for people to truly believe in the Lord, they need to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. They need to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in their life. I think that's what the difference is. Here's where I want to ask you a question. In your life, so today, right? In your life, in the course of your life, go ahead and put up this question here, Drayton, just so that we have something to reference to and put it up online for everyone. Guys, online, start typing if you have something. Where have you seen the power of Jesus' resurrection today? Where have you seen resurrection power in your lifetime? Right? When have you seen it? When have you experienced it? When has God done something for you and you and everyone around you have said, that couldn't be anything but the power of God? The resurrection power, which all the New Testament writers say still is with us today. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead continues to transform our hearts through the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and continues to work in and through His people. The Holy Spirit continues to work through us. Where have you seen it? Where have you seen Jesus' resurrection power today? hard question isn't it you're like yeah no i see it yeah yeah give us the answer no what think through it Hmm. yeah yeah you saw it through your own own daughter as she went through difficulty and had her own Egyptian army against her uh, and the Lord drew her close to uh, to himself yeah amen what else where else have you seen yeah wasn't that like seven years ago so the doctor said seven years ago Marvin you know and, and Marvin's here like every week even in the snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no explanation for that other than God. And many times along the way, too, they've reiterated, right? Yeah, praise God. What else? It's not fair. Kristen's holding one of them. Well, we, we've been very honest with you. We've, we've had uh, miscarriages. And, uh, and then points where it was just like, you know, there's no, like, could not get pregnant. And then we had Matthew somehow, right? And it was like, how, how in the world? And then frankly, honestly, I, it was a work of God that we were able to adopt Marley. Because that wasn't going to happen if it wasn't him. I, I was there. I was at all the court hearings. I was at behind the closed doors. They did not want to do that. And I, I'll tell you, I would drive from here down to Manistee for the, the court 
house several times. And I was yelling at God and I was wrestling with Him like Jacob. And it's because the hand of God that she's here. And then we're over here like, all right, well, we got one. Praise God. You know, and all of a sudden, you know. And frankly, um, if we hadn't been in the hospital, he would not have made it at that birth. That was the hand of God working through those medical technicians. Where else have you seen the, the power of God? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Susie's uh, granddaughter. Uh, that they great, sorry, great granddaughter, because <laughs> you are a great grandmother. How many times? Ten times? You're a ten times great grandmother. Anyone got her beat? <laughs> oh my word! Um, I know you keep telling me that, but I, I just—it's so amazing. Right? That, that's the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives. Where else have you seen it? Yeah. I, I, yeah, amen. I can't believe the amount of things this church ends up doing to uh, reach our community and show them the love of Jesus without expecting anything in return, uh, and the size of a church we are, I, it's just like, I, it's utterly incredible. And then more than that is like just how much this congregation loves and cares for each other. I, that's not every place. We have something special here. Uh, let's see if anyone on, online has some places where they've seen the resurrection power. My parents say, finding the right doctor to cure my child. Don't make me cry. Misty says, years ago, our girls were driving, riding in a car that caught fire. God used a young man, a uh, friend of Eva's, to stop the car and get them out safely. So thankful every day. Don says, eight years ago, when I saw Marge laying in a hospital with five tubes and plastic bottles hooked up to her, and he returned to her to us. Praise Jesus. And Jane said, when you and the elders came to the hospital and prayed for me, on the, and on the spot, my heart valve problem was gone. I mean, we, I've seen the resurrection power of Jesus all throughout my life. And, and I bet you later on, and feel free to post things on Facebook as, as the day goes on, because things are going to start popping in your brain if you really think. I mean, I had to think long and hard, but then I'm like, they're everywhere. It's everywhere. I, you know, I mentioned my child. I, I've seen a godless communist government give, give, give property, several hect acres, to a church to build a church in the middle of their new construction city that they're building. I mean, a godless communist government. And not only that, but the church leaders were able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the communists who previously were against them and, and heard the gospel. And they said, wow, I've never heard that before. Tell me more. What does a person have to do to become a Christian? I mean, that is the resurrection power of Jesus working. I have seen, and I've been here for over 10 years now, I have seen God physically heal some of you. And you know what? More than that, I have seen God not physically heal some of you, and yet the joy of the Lord is still within you. That is an even a greater miracle, I think. In the misery of your pain, the joy of God still flows through you. There are some watching, there are some here today, 
And maybe you are like Israel before crossing the Red Sea. You believe, you kind of believe, but maybe not enough. Maybe you're kind of on the fence. What will it take for you to believe in the Lord? And all of us have friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors that don't believe in the Lord. That don't believe in Jesus. What will it take for them? What will it take for them to finally believe in the Lord? They need to have an encounter with the power of Jesus' resurrection. Okay, so now the next question is, well, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how do you force a power encounter between, uh, you know, between their false beliefs and their false gods and their idols and the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, I wrestled with this all week. I'm like, well, I just, the answer is prayer. It really is. You need to, uh, Darren and I uh, and, and Mike were meeting, and Darren had a great question, which I'm going to butcher here. But when you talk to people, say, what area of your life has deficiency? What area does your life uh, need something more? What are you missing in your life? Right? You ask them that, and they share with you, well, you know, my marriage is broken. You know, I, my mom's in the hospital. Um, you know, my, my car payments are late. What, what, I need a better job. I hate my job. Like, all that stuff, right? My, my relationship with my kid is messed up, right? Ask them, hey, what, what, what do you need out of life? What's missing from your life? And they share those things with you, and then you can share the gospel with them, and guess what? You there on the spot, don't say, I will pray for you. Pray with them on the spot and say, is it okay if I pray with you? And by the way, I have asked people all forever, hey, can I pray with you? And I've only had two people in the course of my life, my adult life, ever say, no, you can't pray for me. And it was, it was like one jumped back like 30 feet, like, no! I was like, okay, something's going on here. <laughs> but everyone, like even my atheist friends, they're like, sure, I'd love you to pray. I'd love for you to pray for me and pray on the spot. I know it's weird. I know it's awkward. Who cares? Pray on the spot. Sneak the gospel in there as you're praying. Thank you that you gave us Jesus so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. And pray. God, I pray that you will restore this person's relationship with his son. I pray that you'll help his mom in the hospital. I pray that you comfort them in their pain. I pray that you help them with their, their bills, their payments. I pray that you give them transportation. I pray that you help them with their job. And you pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then tell them, hey, guess what? Go experiment with prayer. Try it out for yourself. You pray on your own. Ask God, see what he does. And then you go back when you're not around them and you pray as well in the name of Jesus. And that they'll also understand the gospel. That's how you force a power encounter. And you know what? I, I get it because I'm there too. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. What if God doesn't show up? Right? Because we know from our prayer life, sometimes God says, no. <laughs> and then what? You know what though? That's not, that's not on me. That's not what God's called me to do. <laughs> like it's between God and the person and he could probably do something totally different. Hey, pay, help my car payments, right? And then he totally does something incredibly different. And it works out and he goes, wow, that was God. Who could have thought that this would have all worked out with me? Right? Like not me, I don't have that imagination. It's up to God, I know. We, sometimes we don't want to pray those bold, audacious prayers in the name of Jesus because we think, man, you know, maybe he's not going to come through. Maybe he's going to say no. I think maybe we doubt that God will even do that or maybe he even cares. And then maybe we're on the other side of the Red Sea with the Israelites saying, why did you take us out of Egypt? 
just to die here in the desert. We've got to trust that God is going to do what he's going to do. And that when we pray in the name of Jesus, something always happens. Even if he doesn't answer the prayer the way we think that he will. He is powerful enough to part the Red Sea. So he's powerful enough to do anything else and to give us grace even if he says no. People will believe in the Lord when they experience the resurrection power of Jesus. We need to tell them, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, the ancient Israelites, they, they experienced, they taste, they saw that even with the mightiest army bearing down upon them, you are fully capable, able to deliver your people and rescue them. You are the same God today. I pray that you will give us faith. You will increase our faith. Help us to trust you in all circumstances. I pray right now that there are individuals who are coming to you in prayer wanting to taste and see that you are good. There are people here right now, listening right now, that want to experience your resurrection power. I don't know what that will look like. That might look like an a amazing, visible miracle. It might be a transformed heart. It might be a reconciliation of a relationship. It might be freedom from an abusive situation. It might be an overwhelming experience of joy in the midst of a terribly dark situation. I don't know. But Father, I pray for those here that need to experience your resurrection power, that in the name of Jesus they experience it in their life, realizing that the kingdom of God is here and it can be revealed through all of his people as we proclaim and work and love in the name of Jesus. I pray for those of us who are here that have passed through the Red Sea. We have been baptized and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have publicly proclaimed that we are His and He is our God. I pray that You bring people to mind right now that we need to reach out and offer to pray for. That we force that power encounter between the Lord Jesus Christ who was, is, and is coming again and the false beliefs, the false gods, the false idols that have ruined this world. I pray that as we pray with them, that you will give us faith, that you will work. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, something always happens. Help us to trust you. Help us to be obedient to you. May we fear and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.